You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. Mark Neely is a play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN, focusing on college football and basketball. But he's been with ESPN for more than 20 years, also doing college baseball and softball and the national championships for swimming and diving. He also broadcasted a few seasons of San Diego Padres games and even some regional games of the Little League World Series. He's got a unique line in his resume as he attended both the University of Missouri and the University of Kansas. Around here in Kansas City, you see license plates that show both schools' logos with the slogan, A House Divided. Well, he's a dude divided. (laughs) Mark, welcome to Sports Connections. David, thanks so much for having me. It's a privilege to be on with you. All right. So i got to start with the the rivalry, the KUMU rivalry. Uh, How did that happen that you went to both of them? Well, to give you the... uh... The short story, David, I grew up in the St. Louis area, in the St. Louis suburbs. I really had not been to Kansas City much at all. Uh, KU was not on my radar when I first came out of high school from St. Louis. It was Mizzou, and I went to Mizzou, great journalism school. Mm-hmm. And what I ran into there, and, and this is to date myself, this is the 1980s. Um, uh, Mizzou still owns their own NBC TV affiliate, KOMU. So Mm-hmm. Part of the J school, you could go there and anchor the news, which was great. It was fun. But I, I knew I wanted to focus on play-by-play. Uh, and when I went to the professors there, one of which was a, a, a high-ranking alum in my fraternity, so I had access to him, I said, I want to do play-by-play. Who does play-by-play at Mizzou? And I got crickets yeah. at that time. Now, it's all changed now. Let me say now. It's com- completely different. But at that point, uh, their advice was go grab a tape recorder and go sit in the stands at Hickman High School and broadcast the game. I'm like, then who do I take it to? Then, then what? Yeah, yeah. So they're like, well, do other schools have this? And that opened Pandora's box right there, David. I'm like, well, let me find out. And this is the 80s. So this required long distance phone calls and, and <laughs> you know, letters. Yeah. So I found a number of schools. There was a handful of them that had somebody there with a play by play focus. But the one that intrigued me the most was Tom Hedrick at the yep. University of Kansas, yep. who is a legendary guy. And it was the best decision I ever made. It seemed pretty strange to a lot of my Mizzou friends. So after the first semester of my junior year, so I was already five semesters into Mizzou, I transferred to Kansas and finished out my last three semesters there with, with Tom Hedrick. And uh, it was the best thing I really ever did. Great, great guy. I don't know him real well, but uh, certainly his reputation <clears throat> for turning out great broadcasters uh, is is well earned. I got to ask you before we move on, did you have Don Ranley as one of your professors at Mizzou? Absolutely. Yes. I, I used to go to COSIDA conventions and he would always do a workshop and it was standing room only because he was he was so enjoyable. So, all right. Um, considering you're an, an alum for both of those programs, mm-hmm. do you root for either one of them? You know, I and it sounds strange. I I, I root for both. I, I have found the older I've gotten and the more around television, I kind of root more for players, individuals, coaches than I do full programs a lot of times. Um, Though being somebody from Mizzou and Kansas, I want to see both those schools do well. And I know they, since Mizzou went to the SEC, there hadn't been uh, much interconnectedness between those two schools. Now basketball is getting back to playing again. I know uh, KU and Self's team go over to to Columbia this time in a couple of months. So uh, I I just like to see both schools do well. It's kind of like me. I grew up in St. Louis as a St. Louis Cardinal baseball fan, and I've been in Kansas City the last – 
10, 11 years, whatever it is. And I loved it when the Royals went to and, and won the World Series. So uh, maybe I'm just <laughs> I'm a moderate in an era of factions. But, uh, <laughs> there you go. I got I to ask you this, Mark. You know, broadcasters and writers uh, like me are supposed mm-hmm. to be unbiased. <clears throat> Excuse me. At least when they're working. Deep down, do you have a team? Is it the Cardinals? Is it one of those two schools? Is there somebody deep down that you root for? Maybe not when the cameras are on you, but, you know, yes, when <laughs> inside, when they do well. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, I'm, I'm a sports fan, first up, first and foremost. Uh, I, I never try to talk about my fandom on air. I, I, I think right. and, and ESPN has even told their personalities, we don't mind if you, in fact, we would like you to talk about you know, who you root for. And a lot of that is for the talk shows that you see on the morning on ESPN and not so much the game broadcast. Right. Uh, but I, I'm uncomfortable with that. I think fans, they don't, because I, I remember when I would do Padre games, uh, working for the Padres as their TV announcer, uh, the fans are new. I grew up in St. Louis. So every time we play the Cardinals, I never mentioned during the broadcast that I grew up in St. Louis or a Cardinal fan, but I know on social media it was, he loves the Cardinals. He loves the Cardinals. <laughs> you know, and so you, you, you can't get away from it. So I, 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 on air, I never like to talk about it, but yeah, you know, I was disappointed that the Cardinals got smacked by the Phillies in two games uh, in, in the playoffs. I'd like to see the Royals come back. It'd be interesting to see who they hire as uh, as manager. You know, I'd, uh, so yeah, you know, I, I root for them and being in Kansas city now by default, uh, you know, I, I like the chiefs. What's kind of strange is my son who's in college. Now we were living in Southern California and San Diego kind of during his formative years when he became a charger fan and he's kept that allegiance. So it's kind of weird when he likes to go, uh, to see the charger games here. And he's actually one of the people that are rooting for the chargers, which is strange, but Hey, pick your fandom and, and, and go with it and have fun. You know, yeah. I don't. I know a lot of fans, if the team loses, they're, they're losing sleep and they're upset. And those days are behind me. You know, I'm going to sleep just fine whether they win or lose. It'll be disappointing, but life goes on. Yeah, I, I talked to Reese Davis not too long ago. I had him mm-hmm. as a guest on the podcast. And <clears throat> we talked about the fact that Herb Street on game day is not shy about talking about Ohio State and giving grief mm-hmm. to, to Desmond, who played at Michigan, and David mm-hmm. Pollock at, at Georgia. And then even with the basketball, with some Duke guys and stuff. I did not know until I did research for that interview that, that he, he went played. to Alabama. He went to yeah. Alabama. Yeah. And his wife, his yeah. wife went to Auburn. Yeah. And so he said, people tune in to hear what a former Ohio state quarterback has to say about Ohio state. It's okay for him to do that. They don't t- tune in to hear a journalist from Alabama talk about what's great about Alabama. And he said, besides there's too much. I couldn't cover it all. So in our, in our podcast, he had a little bit of fun with it, but I understand what you're saying. Because when I'm covering a game, I cover the Royals a lot. When I'm covering a game, I root for whoever's ahead after the seventh inning. Because <laughs> I don't want to have to rewrite my game story. i got to turn yeah. in my story in three minutes after that last out. Uh-huh. So walk-offs uh-huh. are a pain. Um, and I'll come home and my uh-huh. wife, if she's still up, she'll say, oh, man, I'm sorry the Royals lost. I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm a fan, <laughs> but you know, it's it's all about it's all about me, to be honest. You know, it's making my life easier. So See, that's the difference between print and, and broadcast. On so the broadcast side, we want it to come down to the last pitch, the last yeah. play. We want it to be compelling all the way through. And from a, a writer's perspective, I know what you mean, because I had to do those stories at the Daily Kansan and the Columbia Bazarian back at those schools where you're typing it up, and if somebody scored in the second half or in the third quarter, it looked like the game was over. The story was ready to go as soon as it was over. Hopefully, nobody yeah. came back. 
So we, you and I talked through email uh, about the 2014 American League wildcard game. Mm -hmm. My story was written when the A's were up by five with John Lester. <laughs> on the team. And then the Royals came yeah. back and then I had to tear it up and rewrite. And then the, the, the Royals took lead and then the A's came back and Royals scored two in the bottom of the 12th <clears throat> to win by one. And as I shared with you, half the press box, half the people in the press box should have lost their passes because we were screaming. Fortunately, the windows were open and nobody could hear us. Do you ever find it hard not to pull for somebody, whether it's a player, a manager, a, a program? Do you ever find it hard to not become a fan? Uh, yes. And I, I have never been a Yankee fan. Uh, until Aaron Boone became the manager. And I know he's under a lot of heat. They just got swept. Yeah. I did a number of games with Aaron Boone when he was at ESPN. We got to be pretty good friends and keep in touch. I took my son up to New York. He set us up for a game at Yankee Stadium this summer. Terrific guy. I know he's catching a lot of grief on social media from fans, maybe what he does or does not do in a game, but I know the kind of person he is. Yeah. Off the field, tremendous person. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I, I kind of feel bad when people I know that are my friends, and I know that they're going through some – some tough times like I know Booney is uh, right now. So yeah, to answer your question, sure. Yeah. And, 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 you know, but, but I, I, you know, I, I like, like, you, like we talked about, I, I like to root many times for <laughs> the people that I've met in this business that I know are the really good, authentic, genuine people. Yeah. So talk about your years with the Padres. Obviously they just got yeah. swept, but they, nobody expected them to be in the national league championship series. So just talk about, first of all, give us your assessment of the 2022 season. Just talk about your years broadcasting Padres games. So my time there, uh, when I became the Padres lead TV announcer, it was in 2009. Matt Fast-Gerson had been the, the TV play-by-play uh, -play person for probably eight or nine years in San Diego at that point. And if you'll recall, MLB Network was created for the 2009 season, and Matt was offered the job to go to New York and become a personality for MLB Network, which he still is. So that opened the job. I got the job, and uh, Mark Grant, who's still there as an analyst, uh, was my primary analyst, but Tony Gwynn was the secondary mm. analyst. Oh, wow. And Tony was still the head coach, head baseball coach at his alma mater, San Diego State, uh, but did a bunch of games with Tony a, a, as well. And Tony got to be a, a, a great friend. Uh, and if you're ever going to talk Padre baseball, I mean, there's one guy. It's Yeah. It's Tony Gwynn, and Tony always had a saying. I mean, that we'd be sitting there doing games, and there were there were several instances that were always being planted in my mind of uh, memories I had with Tony. And one was when his son Tony Gwynn Jr. got traded to the Padres during the season, and and Anthony, as he called him, Tony Jr., showed up at the game about the middle of the game. Bud Black put him into the game to pinch it, and I'm looking over at Tony. Now here's his son for the first time wearing a Padres uniform, and Tony's just not saying anything, and I know what he's feeling. He doesn't want to act like he's there yeah. to cheer on his son. That moment always sticks with me. And then there were a few others early in my career with the Padres. There were a couple of games where the Padres lost late leads, and I looked over at Tony, and we were off air, and he said, that's why we're the Padres. And there's one person that can say that, that we yeah. are the Padres, and that that's Tony. And he knew, even though – 1998, he, he loved and He said the, the, the greatest hit he ever had was the home run he hit at Yankee Stadium in game one of the World Series. But he knew that it was, it was a franchise that had a lot more valleys than peaks. So I was happy for them when they got past the Dodgers because yeah. when the Padres came to town to Kansas City, they had I've been living here 11 years, and the Padres had never come to Kansas City the entire yeah. time I lived here until late this summer. 
So I go down to see Don Orsillo and Mark Grant, my friends with the Padres, Bob Scanlon, and Tony Gwynn Jr., by the way, there's now doing radio uh, for the Padres. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking with Mud, who's Mark Grant, and I'm like, you know, can you guys get past the Dodgers? And he quite frankly said, you know, I, I don't think we can because they had lost like 28 of 32 games to the yeah. Dodgers at that point. <clears throat> they did play better against the Dodgers in the final regular season series, didn't win it, but there were some signs there, but I don't yeah. think anybody thought that they, that they could beat the Dodgers like they did. So just getting over that hurdle was big. Uh, and, you know, you never know what happens. If they get a base hit with two outs yesterday uh, in, in, in game five, maybe they get that back to San Diego and, and win it and get to the World Series. So it, it was a really good year for the Padres, but it, it's a fan base that deserves uh, to have some kind of joy. And just getting to the NLCS, I'm sure, at least was a little bit of a consolation. Well, <clears throat> it's interesting. I, I didn't have a dog in the fight, um, and, but I started rooting for the Padres uh, because when they came to Kansas City, I was I was covering them. And I do, I work for a couple of different wire services and one of them required me to do pregame press conferences and I walked over to the Padres dugout and Bob Melvin came out and I had covered enough games when he was with the A's. I don't know that he would necessarily know my name, but he knew my face and he walked up and he stopped. And you've been in those, those dugout mm-hmm. pressers. He stopped and he patted me on the shoulder. He goes, how are you doing? And I said, I'm doing well, Bob. How are you? And he goes, I'm doing great. I'm glad you're here. I mean, <clears throat> and it was it was genuine. I was like, there aren't many nicer people than Bob huh. Melvin. At that point, I was like, okay, I don't know who's going to be where, but I'm rooting for the Padres if they're in it. So I was glad to see them. I was glad to see them do it. Um, you're right about that, Bob Melvin, though, David. No question. He's one of the genuine guys. I first came across him when he was managing Arizona. Yeah. And, and he's a keeper for the Padres. That's an outstanding hire for them when they brought him on. And and one more thing about the Padres, just they they got Juan Soto. I I, I like Josh Bell. I think he's a, a, a good guy. They got some young guys. I love their shortstop, uh, Ha Song Kim, I think it is. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, it's it's going to be interesting with obviously coming back is <laughs> next year. Yeah. Uh, when the, when the uh, suspension is over for Tatis. Because I don't think they were crazy about Tatis's glove at short. So it'll be yeah. interesting to see where he's at, especially with Kim doing as well as he did at short this year. Yeah, so I I think unless they've got some free agents that I'm not aware of because they got a good three-man you know, front end of the rotation, they could be back there in the years to come. Are, are you excited now that you're not doing games and you don't have to put aside your rooting interest where you can root <laughs> for the Padres? Yeah, and you know, and I, and David, I – probably as the long baseball season's going on and, and of the couple of decades that I did professional baseball in the minor leagues and major leagues, I'll say that, man, that the season is a grind. I don't think the yeah. ordinary sports fan can really appreciate unless they experience what it's like for six months, day in, day out to be at the ballpark. And on the few <laughs> off days you have, you're either traveling to or coming back yeah. from somewhere. It, it, it is such a, a yeah. mental as much as physical grind. So I, I, I don't follow it day to day so much during the summer, but you know if the Padres get in a position where hey they can get back in the postseason, and I want to do it for the fan base. There are a lot of people back in San Diego from my time doing Padre games that were long suffering, long yeah. suffering Padre fans. <clears throat> then I know if they ever won a World Series, those people would be extremely happy, and that would make me happy to see them happy. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk about um, your broadcasting experiences. I want to I want to hit on each one because we're in the heat of uh, football season. We'll save that for last. One of the interesting things we talked about the Padres. One of the interesting things that you told me about is that you did regional games 
for the Little League World Series. Mm-hmm. That just that's that's on, actually on my bucket list of sports things to go to Williamsport. And I know you didn't do them in Williamsport, but you yeah. did regional games on the West Coast. That just I, that just has got to be so much fun. I love the College World Series. So talk about favorite experiences you have doing Little League World Series games. Well, number one, the Little League World Series, ESPN has always treated it as a huge event because really, if you pull the curtain back, the reason they love it so much is it rates extremely well. Yeah. People love to watch the, the, the world Little League World Series kids that are that 12, 13 years old. And it, (laughs) there have been times when in that August pocket where there's a little league world series game on and a big league game on ESPN, ESPN two, and the little league world series game will often outrank the big league game. Yeah. That, that's, that's not a joke. So, and where I got to know Aaron Boone a lot, he was my analyst out in San Bernardino for the West and Northwest regional for four or five years. And then Raul Abanez was in there. And by the way, Raul, he and I have conversations about the wild card game. He in Royals uniform that day, yeah. Said it was the best game he's ever been around. That's the best game I've ever seen. And that was as a fan. That was not, I wasn't there working at all. Yeah. Uh, just a crazy game. But people love to, to see the genuine, they, they can, they can take themselves back to that time. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the little league games are just a lot of fun. We always meet with the players. I can remember Cody Bellinger. That's how far back I go doing games. Yeah. He came up with an Arizona team. Nick Prado was with the Huntington beach team that I, I think Aaron Boone was our, my analyst for that year. Uh, with the Huntington Beach team, uh, Southern California. So, you know, it, it's not frequent that that those kids go to the big leagues like Nick Prado or, or, or Cody Bellinger. Most are not. Most right. many won't even go play in, in, in college. But it's just a fun time, a great age. And, and when we put those games on air at ESPN, people love them. You know, it's it's interesting. Very few of us played, <clears throat> played Major League Baseball. But practically all of us that had any, and I got this much athletic ability, we all played Little League Baseball. <clears throat> I, I think you're right. It's because we can relate. We can say, oh, I remember when my pitcher, Mark, did this. You know, mm-hmm. I remember when, you know, I was standing <clears throat> standing at home plate with the bases loaded and I struck out. We can all relate to that. I think that's why it it just resonates so well. No question. It's, it's a common experience that people, whether they're 20, 25, 35, 75, 85, can always go back and say, yeah, you know, I remember when I was that age, and I yeah. remember when the game ended. I was upset for a couple minutes, and then we went and got slushies, and we spilled <laughs> them in the back seat of the car. And I still remember all of that. It, yeah, it was a great time. All right, let's let's move a few years ahead. College baseball. You, you've done a lot of college baseball games as well. Mm-hmm. Just highlights from that. You know, you know what, David? College baseball is interesting. You know, um, it, it's fun because. ESPN is so married to the SEC. A lot of the games I see in college baseball have been SEC uh, Mm. and baseball and softball. And I enjoy each for this reason, David, Uh, with college baseball, you're watching, especially these days, you know, they're throwing 97, hundred miles per hour and the college and the SEC, so many great players that are high draft picks that within often a year or two, without much time in the minor leagues, are in the big leagues, and it's exciting to watch that. And mm-hmm. Omaha is an awesome time mm-hmm. in the College World Series. I've never called Omaha, but I have gone up there to watch it in person, and it's it's a great event. College softball, I mean, it, it's really it becomes more and more popular every year. And by the yeah. way, it rates extremely well, and many times will rate higher than college baseball. Uh, I, I think 
part of that, a little side note, is that usually a softball game takes about two hours, and a college baseball game can take double that a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that plays a factor in it. But with the athletes and, and, and the women I see in college softball, uh, what's infectious about that is when I watch a college baseball game, I know there are players there that, that love the game and they're working on it, but a lot of them, like, they're kind of working towards pro baseball mm-hmm. or the big leagues. They're thinking somewhere else they'd rather be. In college softball, there's nowhere else on the planet those women would rather be you know, on that day than on that field yeah. playing college softball. And that enthusiasm to me is infectious. And, and that comes through the screen. And that's why it's so popular on television. For sure. All right. <clears throat> Let's switch. Uh, fall season's over. We're in college basketball season, or we will mm-hmm. be soon. <clears throat> As a K-Stater, I'm, I am not reluctant at all to admit that the best atmosphere, and I've been in games at Pauley Pavilion at UCLA. I've been to the Dean Dome. I've been to Cameron. I've been all over. There is no atmosphere as good as Allen Fieldhouse. So just talk about your experiences broadcasting college basketball. Yeah, I tell you what, I've, I don't know how many games I've done at the Fieldhouse over the years, somewhere as a student, uh, in old Tom Hedrick classes, which is yeah. another part of the attraction of transferring from Mizzou at the yeah. time. Uh, <laughs> but for ESPN, I don't know, it's probably been 20 or 25 games over the years at Allen Fieldhouse, and, and they're all special. You know, whether it's a non-conference game against Harvard uh, in December, uh, but obviously it does kick up a notch or two when you get into conference play. But Allen Fieldhouse never disappoints. Uh, I have done games uh, at uh, in, in at Duke, and Cameron is great. What what takes it a little bit away from a broadcaster standpoint is in Cameron. We are up in the rafters. We're not right courtside like we are at Allen Fieldhouse in most places. That takes a little bit of a, away from me, for me, because you're kind of yeah. looking down at all this yeah. and you're not completely enveloped uh, by it like you are at Allen Fieldhouse. But Cameron's a great place. I'll tell you what has really gotten great in the Big 12 is United Supermarket Serena in Lubbock. And uh, Chris Patolin and I this past season uh, broadcast the Texas game at Texas Tech when Chris Beard oh, came yeah. back for the first time to Lubbock and that place had a in many ways it was I don't want to say a dark vibe but it was a vindictive vibe yeah directed at one person and it was such a unique atmosphere and I thought perhaps that crowd may go over the edge at some point they fortunately never did yeah and it was one of the best environments and even the other games that I've done uh, there in Lubbock they've really developed uh, some good things there okay last last sport and then I've got an overall question question Mm -hmm. for you on this College football, favorite memories, favorite highlights of doing college football games for ESPN? Just the atmospheres, because it's hard to beat. I can remember just looking around at Tennessee or Penn State or Michigan when there's literally over 100,000 people yeah. around you. And just, I mean, that that's... <laughs> That's it's hard to beat that when that environment is going and cooking and your chest is just vibrating because yeah. the, 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 the sound is just a wall that comes at you. Those environments. And there are a lot of great ones around college football. I admit they're 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 hard to beat. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. <clears throat> I've heard I've heard athletes and coaches that come to K-State and obviously K-State is half that size. The the. The stadium is 50,000 and change. And yet I've had I've heard people say that there is not a more difficult environment to play in as a visitor than Bill Snyder Family Stadium. What's your thought on that? 
it, it's a great environment. And I've had a couple of K-State games this season, uh, which can are both ends of the spectrum there. Because I had the Tulane game, Ooh, which yeah. had been their only loss until this last week, the 2CU, TC, which was a really odd game where the fans are sitting there uh, normally thinking they're going to go up crazy and out of their minds and beat Tulane. And they're like, holy smokes, yeah. what's going on with Adrian Martinez? And, and they lose yeah. the game. And then a few weeks later, I'm back playing Texas Tech. And that was a really good matchup on a Saturday. Texas Tech had come off beating Texas. Uh, OU had, uh, or K-State had just beat OU. And yeah, that crowd was, was awesome. And like you say, for 50,000 there, uh, they give you, they give you their money's worth. They get their money's worth and they give their money's worth. All right. Um, I mentioned to you in the email that, uh, that I'm working on a book. I'm not sure when I'm going to get it out. I'm, I'm too busy. I've got about to release number 26. But um, this book that I want to do is to talk to broadcasters and writers who are you know, on national scale like you. I've, I've known Dennis Dodd for 40 years, um, good friends, of, you know, Tom Chattel, guys like that. And I want to get their opinions on the top 10 sporting events they've been to either mostly working uh, as I mentioned to you the wild card game was number two on my list I was at the pine tar game as a fan mm-hmm. um, so <clears throat> I'm not going to ask you for 10 but do you have a top event that you've worked that you've broadcast well you know I, college basketball is is great and I've been fortunate the last eight or nine years ESPN's let me focus mainly on the big 12 not only because I'm living out of Kansas city and except for West Virginia and the Texas schools, I can drive everywhere and, yeah. and, and, and it works out really well. And I went to schools that were both in the conference and I include Missouri in that from the time in the, the big eight and big 12. Uh, the unfortunate part from an ESPN standpoint is we do all this work for college basketball and we get it through to the NCAA tournament. And then on a platter, we hand it to CBS and Turner and they get all these great moments. So yeah. I had a, a lot of great moments in, in, in college basketball that I remember, but you may hear them and say like, well, I, you know, that was a regular season game or that was, you know, yeah. because we, we never get any of the, of the NCAA tournament games. So there's a number of those, but like, I'll just harken back the, it, because of us being from Kansas city and, and, and living here and knowing what it meant to the community, 2014, that wild card game, uh, Raul Abanez, uh, was a, an analyst for me, uh, with me and, and at the Little League uh, in, in San Bernardino. We talked about this game in detail. And I don't think Raul got into that game at all, but he's finishing his career with the Royals. Mm-hmm. And he's, he's in the dugout, so he, he's hearing everything that's going on. And from the falling behind, uh, Ventura comes in. That doesn't go well. Yeah, Nick Yost gets booed off the mound. You know, it's like, where is this going? Uh, and they uh, – they got Lester, and Lester had always dominated the Royals, and then the game does what it does. And it, it, it's the best. I've probably been around two thousand plus baseball games as a broadcaster and a fan, and that's the best baseball game I've ever attended in person. And there were a couple of different reasons why I went there with my son, who's now in college. He was in middle school at that time. And as that game went on, my wife's calling. Goes, "You got to get him home. He's got school." I'm like, "It ain't happening. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, we're, it's we're going to be here till the end, whenever that is." And I, when it went to the ninth inning, I was at the very – on the first base side, right at the top of the box seats on that concourse. And I'm looking down because if the game ends, my son and I are going to bolt out that right field side so we can try to get out and beat traffic. When the game-tying sack fly occurs, and I guess it was Dyson that scored to tie the game, 
before the ball was put in play, I look on the concourse. The concourse is completely vacant. I mean, there's nobody at concession stands, nothing. When that ball is caught and Dyson crosses the plate, I turned around and that entire concourse had filled up with people who were dancing and out of their <laughs> minds. And I know, even though I didn't grow up in Kansas City, grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, I know what it meant because of the franchise not having been in the postseason for so long, the way the game played out and the way they tied it and then eventually won it and then go on and, and, and get to game seven of the World Series. That, that for me, and part of it is now living in Kansas City all this time and knowing how big a deal it was for this community. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, Pine Tar is the best known game. Mm -hmm. And we just had, that was my wife's birthday. And in April yeah. that year, I said, what do you want to do for your birthday? And we were living in New York, kind of trying to get, you know, we had been married just a couple of years. And, and I said, what do you want to do for your birthday in July? And she said, well, let's see who the Yankees are playing. I was like, who are you? And what have you done with my wife? Then I look at the schedule and they're playing the Royals. I said, well, look, we'll go see the Royals. I'm sitting next to Gaylord Perry's uncle. Gaylord was on the Royals at that time. And um, Willie Wilson had gotten hurt. So Pat Sheridan, made the second out of the top of the ninth and he starts gathering his stuff. And I said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to try and beat the rush. I said, don't go anywhere. You know, Washington's going to get a base hit there. Uh, Billy Martin's going to bring in Gossage and Brett's going to hit a home run. And he sits back down. <laughs> and I, you I, said wow. that I said that, okay. and, and he, wow. but he's, he sits back down and like, I didn't realize I had that much influence. So, you know, Washington gets a base hit. Here comes Billy Martin. I kind of elbow him a little bit. He goes, well, that was the easy part. Well, if you remember, George Brett hit the first pitch out, but about that far foul, just down the left field line. Then he takes the ball, and then he hits one out. And he just looked at me like I was crazy, and the place was deathly quiet, except for the four guys sitting in the row in front of us who are Mike Armstrong's brothers. Mike Armstrong uh -huh. grew up in Yonkers, and he was going – he was – in line to get his first win ever in, in his big league career. So as we kind of the murmuring starts and my wife said, what's Billy Martin doing? I said, Oh, he's going to complain about something. That's what Billy does. And they grabbed the bat. I said, what's he going to complain? Oh, he's probably going to say George has a uh, cork in his bat. She said, does he? And I said, no. And then he lays the bat down and says, now what's he going to do? I said, Oh, he's probably going to say George has too much pine tar. And she <laughs> says, does he? And I said, yeah, probably. Yeah. So what happens if the ump agrees? And as I say, watch out, McClellan points to the dugout, calls out Brett, and you know what happens next. You know, it just goes goes crazy. And I, walking out of that stadium, I kept saying, I don't think you can overturn what happened. You can call him out. You can take the bat out. But I don't think they can reverse what he did with that bat. And sure enough, they ended up playing the game later. But only and Tim McClellan of, umpired for another 100 years or so. And yeah. what I never got, David, is uh, pine tar is a sticky substance. Yeah. So if it's up on the barrel and the ball hits it, I'm, I have to assume, and yeah. I'm not a physics major, that would actually impede how far yeah. you can hit the ball, yeah. not <clears throat> increase it. So it was kind of a weird thing anyway. Yeah, it, for sure. But but only because that game is so famous is that number one on my list. But I agree with you, Mark, that I'm sitting in the front row of the press box and I was screaming at the top of my lungs and I couldn't hear myself because that place was so loud. All right. We, we need to keep going here. <clears throat> Favorite sport to broadcast. Um, I got to know Dick Enberg really well, speaking of Padres broadcasters. Um, and I did, got to know him by doing a book on UCLA basketball. I asked him one time, 
when, when he was retiring, I did a story for the Final Four program. And I said, you've done professional and college basketball, professional and college football, Major League Baseball, the Olympics, tennis at Wimbledon, golf. What's your favorite sport? And his answer was so great. He goes, what season is it? <laughs> Almost yeah. like he didn't know what season it was. Yeah. That, meant, that meant what his favorite sport was because it was whatever was in season. So long question. Here, here's your chance. What is your favorite sport to broadcast? David, that answer has changed for me over the years. When I got out of KU, my Tom Hedrick was like, hey, you need to get to the minor leagues and start mm -hmm. developing your craft doing baseball on radio. Because if you can do baseball on radio by yourself, you can do any sport, any medium. And he was exactly right. So yeah. I go into the minor mm -hmm. leagues, eventually get to the big leagues. And the, the, a, a, a season of baseball is six months. In the minor leagues, it's about five months or so. And I loved it at that time. I don't know how, now the best thing that happened to me when I left the Padres and I was able to kind of pick and choose with ESPN and be around my family and not miss as many birthdays and holidays. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, it, I don't know if I would say that now, but back in the day, I just enjoyed a baseball season. Uh, I, I loved it. The full ups and downs for me right now, where my career is uh, it's big 12 basketball and the way it's been the last five or six, seven years where arguably it's, been about the best conference in college basketball and Bill Self put it well last week at the at the media day when people asked him you know how important is your title and Baylor's title and, and heck Texas Tech three years ago was one shot away from winning yeah. the title themselves and and Bill put it as Bill often does uh, perfectly hey we can talk about being the, the best conference but we got to actually win the last game a couple yeah. times to really validate that and, and they've done that the last few years uh, so for me, it's been Big 12 hoops because even if it's the number nine and number 10 team on a Monday night somewhere, it's it's a really good game. It's a really yeah. good matchup. It, it's It's been outstanding. So for me, these last seven, eight, nine years focusing at this time of year or is the time you were about to get to on Big 12 basketball, uh, I love it. Man. The, the coaches are incredible. The basketball has been incredible. Uh, and for me, that's the highlights right now. All right. Real quick, wrap it up. Uh, what do you find enjoyment? Where do you find enjoyment away from the microphone? Uh, it's mainly family things. Um, uh, my son's in college now. He's a junior. He plays baseball at an NAIA school in Leavenworth, University of St. Mary. So uh, I, and that season usually starts at the end of January. So I drive up to Leavenworth whenever I get a chance and usually freeze my tail end off in February <laughs> watching baseball. But it's, but it's great to be able to go to see him. Um, you know, I, I enjoy music. I like to play guitar, do a few other things, try to teach myself piano. The pandemic, you know, and now we actually still do some games from home because we yeah. had, you know, that seemed like an odd concept before the pandemic. But I still have equipment in my basement. And the first hoops games I'll be doing uh, November 11th and 13th is, is a tournament in Asheville, North Carolina. And I'll be here at home. Now, I do go down to Orlando and it's more stuff yeah. in person after that. Uh, but. You know, I go downstairs, play a little music sometimes, or sometimes I go call a basketball game. <laughs> are, are you are you a singer as well? No, I you know I can sing in the shower or sing in the car when nobody else is around. I don't, I don't consider myself a singer, but you know, I you know music. I think music's a good little escape. Everybody, everybody's got to have a little music in their heart, don't they? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm part of the Kansas City Symphony Chorus. Uh, only at Christmas time, I get to do the Messiah, and I love that. So. Yeah. 
All right. La last question for you. And I always like to wrap up my interviews with this. What's your legacy? And you can interpret the question however you want and take it whatever direction you want. Uh, David, I, I think the legacy I want to leave professionally is an understated one because I've one thing Tom Hedrick preached to me, and maybe it's not this way anymore in the, in the journalism schools, is you, you didn't want to make yourself bigger than the event or didn't even want to appear like that was the situation, uh, yeah. especially in TV. It's it's an analyst medium. You want right. to as a play by play announcer keep everybody abreast of what's going on, but you want to be able to make your analysts comfortable so that they can do what they do best and, and, and illuminate people with what's going on in the game. So I, I think it's an understated one, but I just want people that, whether they know my name or not, and if they don't, that's no big deal, that the games that they tuned into, whether it was a team they had a big interest in or not, they learned something about the game maybe, but they just enjoyed it and were able to get away from whatever they do in life that may be a problem or not, and for two, three hours – just enjoy the game. And, you know, I do about, well, back during the baseball days, 162 of those uh, in a six month span. Now I only do probably about 75, 80 or 90 a year. And that's, that's great for those 90 games. I hope whoever watches them gets the fullest enjoyment out of it that, uh, that they can get. I, I always like to share my favorite response to that. Bobby Bell, Chiefs Hall of Famer, uh, told me once, he said, you know, I want to live my life so the preacher don't have to lie at my funeral. <laughs> that's a great one well put yeah it's pretty pretty good uh pretty good legacy to have well mark i appreciate your time very much uh enjoyed chatting with you and i i could have gone another hour at least but we both have things to do but i uh, look forward to seeing you at an upcoming football or basketball game in the big 12 david my pleasure and anytime sports connections calls i'm here i'd love to do it again sometime all righty Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.